Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Sometimes when you take a stand for the Lord and you do the difficult thing uh, that maybe nobody else wants to do and nobody else wants to deal with the ramifications, you're going to take heat from the enemy and friend and foe. There's possibly Jews that were like, this is your fault. You know, he may have been catching fire both ways. Can I tell you guys, if you're going to serve the Lord, that you're going to catch fire from both ways? As a Christian and a minister and a, someone that serves the Lord, I expect the attack from the enemy. In your walk with Jesus, have you ever felt alienated for taking a stand? Or maybe you back down when facing adversity to maintain your status. In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know that there will always be adversity when you choose to serve the Lord, and you need to use that as fuel to share His gospel. Even when it seems like no one is listening to you and only spite is being thrown your way, turn to Jesus and let Him speak through you. Always be on mission for the kingdom. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Esther, chapter 4, as he begins his message for such a time as this. Esther chapter 4, I titled the chapter, For Such a Time as This. Uh, One of the key phrases in the book of Esther. This chapter has uh, two of my favorite quotes from the whole book of Esther. I like this book for a lot of reasons. Uh, my mother's name was Esther. That's that's just that's one of the that's one of the side reasons I I I love the book. I also just I love the relationship between Mordecai and Esther. We'll look at some of that today. Just how how he took her on as a daughter, though she was just a, a younger cousin. Uh, but he walked in that role fully. Uh, he didn't he didn't he didn't do it halfway. He made that commitment and he went all the way with that commitment. Uh, there was a genuine love and concern for her, um, and she, we see, we'll see today. She loved him back. Um, he he cared for her. He gave direction to her. She listened and obeyed the things that came from him. There was a respect for his leadership in her life, and um, it just ministers to me of of for you know for the men even of just our role as leaders in the home and just um, how that we want to be. We want to fulfill that. We want to do that with all of our heart, with all of our passion. So we'll look at some of that today, why he was a good example, uh, why, why he could give radical direction to her. You know, why was he able to do that and be heard and be listened to? So much of what's happened in Esther's life is up until this point, it's no fault of her own. Um, Her life has been a a mess of things. Her parents taken away while she was young, raised by this cousin figure, Mordecai. Um, Beautiful, no fault of her. You know, somebody's beautiful, it's not their fault. Uh, I mean, unless you bought it and painted it on and everything else, but she was made beautiful by God. God made her beautiful for a purpose. Um, Not her, you know, she got put in this pageant. Uh, She was selected, had favor in the eyes of the king. All these things, I don't believe there's anything she had to do with. This was God's providence in her life. But but all of what happened in her life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it brought her to where she is in the word. And we'll see that there was purpose on it. Sometimes I think people look at their lives and the things that were unfavorable, the things we didn't like. And a lot of people have those why God questions. God, why did you, if you love me, why did that happen? Why was I raised like this? Why didn't my parents stay together? How come this person left me? How come I had this ailment? How come I don't look like that? How come I'm four, two instead of five, instead of six, two? You know, um, we have all these different questions, these why God questions. Here's what you'll find. You walk with God long enough and God will make purpose out of 
your questions. You walk with the Lord long enough. You just continue to walk with the Lord. That's the key. Those that will continue to walk with the Lord will eventually see his purpose on what, what you know, something that may have been a, 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 a negative earlier. Well, later on, you'll see God's purpose. You'll see what God intended to do with what he allowed in your life. So with that, Esther chapter four, verse one, everybody got it? All right, here goes. It says, when Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. Haman, if you remember, Haman's the, he's the villain of the book. Haman is the right-hand man to the king. He got a promotion to that position. His promotion said that everywhere he went, everyone had to bow down to him. We talked about just what a terrible thing that would be for some man's pride, that everywhere I go, everybody got to bow down and and pay homage to me. And so um, Haman would go into town, and, and everybody would bow down except for who? My man Mordecai. Mordecai the Jew. He was standing there. Mordecai was standing there with his arms closed and just was like, Nah, nah, I don't, I don't, he wasn't doing it. Um, Mordecai said, I'm not bound because I'm a Jew. The people were pressuring Mordecai to bow, but he wouldn't do it. Uh, they, 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 they were so bothered that he didn't bow uh, that they went and told, they went and told Mordecai on him. They went and tattletailed, um, probably because they're like, we have to bow. He should have to bow too. You know, that's how they sound to me. But they went and tattled on him. And when Mordecai heard, he was, he was so angry that this one man didn't bow. Now check this out. Listen to the anger. He's so angry that Mordecai wouldn't bow. He says, I don't want to just kill Mordecai. Mordecai is not bound because he's a Jew. I want to kill all the Jews then. And we talk about uh, the anti-Semitic, the the satanic uh, push behind anti-Semitic ideas and just how Satan's always against God's people in, in any shape or form. Anything that God loves, Satan's against it. And so there have been many attempts to extinguish, to wipe out, to annihilate God's people. And so here again, you have you have you have Haman that says, "I, I want to wipe them all out. I don't just I don't just want revenge on this one guy. I want to knock out a whole people. All of them should die. All the Jews that are here should die." So he got the king to sign a decree. He went to the king, kind of slippery slide in, and said, "Hey, there's this group of people that don't believe like we do, and they they don't respect your laws and rules. They don't obey you. What you say, we should wipe them all out." King was like, "Yeah, yeah." And and, and Mordecai said, "And I'll give you ten thousand talents of silver to let me go kill him. You know, I'll we'll put ten thousand talents of silver into your treasury, which is kind of empty because you just lost that battle with Greece. So you probably need it." And he said, I'll, "I'll I'll do that for you if you let me go extinguish these people." And the king was bought with a bribe. We'll talk about that a little later. So. The news went forth that on this date, they cast lots to figure out which date it would happen on. And God's providence, it's 11 months away. So in 11 months, they got signs up. They're posting them in the Citadel that says, on this date, 11 months from now, we're wiping out all the Jews, killing everybody. Imagine the the chaos, the confusion. Here in chapter 4, verse 1, we got Mordecai's response. It says that when he learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes, he put on the sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the midst of the city. And he's not having a silent, he's, his grief is not silent. He is crying out loud in the city about what's happening. He's probably not the only one doing it. So let me explain the torn clothes and sackcloth and ashes. Um, you see this throughout the Old Testament as a way that they would grieve. 
Um, they would, you know, tear their clothes. Uh, the sackcloth was made of camel's hair or goat's hair, very uncomfortable, uh, you know, kind of like the potato sacks um, and things like that. So they would put on something very unpleasant, very uncomfortable. The ashes, uh, it was almost like they were saying, look, it's, it's, they're, 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 they're putting themselves there with the dead. I got ashes on my head like I'm under the grave. I, my, tours are, my clothes are torn. I'm in, I'm in sackcloth. It was, a, it was a form of mourning out loud, just saying, I am grieved over what's happening. And I got to say this because there are some things that happen in our culture today where people grieve out loud. People are saying, ah, this is wrong. This is an atrocity. This is, a, this is unrighteous. This is a wrong thing. And, you know, there are times when that people are going to grieve out loud. This is terrible what's happening. Um, it's emotional. There's fear, anger, you know, terror, whatever. And it, it is expressed in that way. That's what Mordecai is doing here. He is expressing his grief in a very public way. It says in verse two, he went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. So you, you couldn't go into um, the king's, couldn't go into the palace or even inside the king's gate uh, looking like you were sad or sorrowful. Um, you couldn't go in with that. And it says, and in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting, we'll come back to that, weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So it was not just Mordecai. Mordecai was doing this. He was there as close as you can get to the palace without going in. But it says in every province where the Jews were and this information came out, uh, they were just grieving out loud. They were wearing sackcloth and ashes and, and there was wailing. There was crying. There was mourning. And it says, and there was weeping and, and fasting among the Jews. So um, I wanted to give a couple thoughts on, on this because there are some similarities today, right? Uh, in our culture today, if, if there is an outroar against something, um, people generally will take to the streets. Uh, there'll be protests and whatnot. Now, uh, we know that there is, you know, lawful, you know, meaningful protests. And then we know there's lawless, you know, rebellious rioting and, and that sort of thing. And the two are very different. Um, one is a public outcries just I can't believe that this is happening and 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 people are going out and expressing it the other is it's just another form of rebellion taking place in the streets something that I want to point out because as believers we're always functioning from a different place right the world has its methods um and their limited methods at that right if you're disconnected from God and some terrible things happens Maybe the most powerful thing you can do is get with another group of people that feel the same way and go make a public display about it. That might be for a non-believer the most. This is the most we can do about it, right? As believers, as Christians, what's the most that we can do when something horrible takes place? Pray, right? So for the believer, our position of power is not going to be in a protest it's not going to be at a march. Our position of power is going to be in prayer. Don't ever forget that, right? Because sometimes I think believers are watching what non-believers are doing. They're like, yeah, we got to go too. We have to go too. And it's like, you have something they don't have. You have access to someone they don't. Y'all need to be having prayer gatherings. We need to be on our faces about this. 
We need to be coming together and crying out to the Lord for wisdom and, 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 and just insight and what he would have us to do. But, you know, remember, we, we just need to remember that. We have access to some things that the world does not have access to. So we got to be careful about tapping into their methods when we have methods that are, uh, we, have, we, have, we have access to some things that are greater. So again, it says here, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now, it doesn't say fasting with prayer, but I believe that the sort of fasting that they're doing here is to be heard by God. So oftentimes in Scripture, um, when people would fast, one of the purposes for a fast was to be heard on high. Some people fasted as part of their mourning before the Lord. God, we're passing on the plate that you might hear our mourn. We're crying out to you. Here's something we know from Scripture, that when people would cry out to God, God would hear them. If people were being oppressed and they cried out, God would say multiple times in the Old Testament, I heard their cries. They, they cried out and I heard it. And God would intervene. And so um, fasting was one of those things we see. Fasting is something we see throughout the whole Bible. There are many different reasons why people fasted. Some fast in, in conjunction with prayer. Usually um, there's, you know, fasting of, you know, no food, no water. Fasting to be heard by God. Fasting to, to get direction from the Lord. Fasting for power. Fasting, waiting on God to do something. Um, a book that I, I recommend often um, is it's called, for someone that's interested in fasting and just wanting to know what, what all does the Bible say about it, there's a book, it's called God's Chosen Fast. Uh, the author's name is Arthur Walls, and uh, it's just a very good read uh, about fasting. So uh, if you got questions on that, you can talk to me later. Um, that's probably one of my favorite books on that specific topic. But here they're mourning, weeping, fasting, they're laying in sackcloth and ashes, and um you know, they're, they're showing forth their grief over this terrible news that has come forth. Now, moving forward, look at verse four now. It says, so Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and to take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. So a couple things, you know, Esther is kind of secluded here. Esther's in the palace. Um, Esther's kind of got it cush, right? She, she's tucked away in the palace. She don't even know what's going on out there in the streets unless someone comes and lets her know. Um, she's tucked away. She's got provisions. She's eating good. She's got beauty treatments. She's got maids and eunuchs taking care of her every need. And then she hears about what's going on out there in the streets. So let me, let me just throw this out there. So I want you to put yourself in Esther's position. You made it to the palace. You are the queen. You got it made. You are living comfy, plush, and cushy. And the king don't know because Mordecai told you not to tell him. Nobody knows that you're a Jew. And you get word while you're in the palace that, oh, no, they're going to start slaying all the Jews. They don't know I'm a Jew. I'm cush here. What, what do you think might be a temptation for someone in Esther's position? Huh? Right. Let me just let me just back away. Let me act like I didn't hear what was going on out there. Nobody knows I'm a Jew anyway. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and enjoy my good life. And uh, man, I terrible what's going to go. I feel terrible for those out there and what's going to happen. Right. That could be a temptation. It's not Esther. Right. She, she's she's a woman of much more character than that. But some people, some people have very crummy character and they fall back when 
uh, when, when things get hot, when, when things get difficult, there are people that just kind of fall away. They don't want to get involved. They don't want to do anything. That's not Esther's character. And it's probably why God put her where she is. I, I titled the message again for, for such a time as this. There's a reason why God let her be the one to be where she is um, by his divine providence. So um, she's surrounded by her maids and eunuchs. That's, these are the people that she's interacting with day to day, right? The maids, the women that take care of her and the eunuchs. And so it says that they came and they told Esther what was going on. And then when she heard, she was deeply distressed. Um, she cared. It wasn't like, well, it's not my problem. I'm the queen. She was deeply distressed. Esther cares about her people. And I'm sure she cared about Mordecai. She must have heard that Mordecai was outside with sackcloth and knew he couldn't come any further. So she sent clothes to Mordecai so he can put on some regular clothes and come closer so they could they could talk. Um, it says at the end of verse four that Mordecai, um, he would not accept them, right? And this is Mordecai saying, no, I'm going to grieve. I'm going. I'm not putting on regular clothes while this is going on. I'm, I'm wearing sackcloth, you know? Um, I, I just I just like his character. I, I That's a guy, Mordecai just sound like my kind of guy. He's like, no, nah, I'm not putting on regular, this ain't regular clothes kind of day. This is a, a grieving morning, sackcloth and ashes, wailing and howling kind of day. I'm not eating burgers and I'm not having a good time. That's the kind of day it is. I don't want them clothes, you know? And that, that he, he didn't receive it at first. Uh, moving on, look at verse uh, five. It says, then Esther called Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him the command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gates, and Mordecai told him all that had happened, and he told him the sum of money Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. So when Esther couldn't get Mordecai to put on clothes and come to her, he sent she sent one of her guys down to him in the city square and said, go find out what's going on for me. And as this guy went down and interacted with uh, Mordecai, he gave him the rest of the information, uh, what had taken place, um, why it happened. Now, I want you to think about this. If you're Mordecai, all this has happened because you didn't do what? Why? Um, I bet that there, there may be people that were like, why wouldn't you just bow, Mordecai? This is all your, you know, I'm sure there had to be some pressure on him because really this is all happening because he didn't bow. Sometimes when you take a stand for the Lord and you do the difficult thing uh, that maybe nobody else wants to do and nobody else wants to deal with the ramifications, you're going to take heat from the enemy and friend and foe. There's possibly Jews that were like, this is your fault. You know, he may have been catching fire both ways. Can I tell you guys, if you're going to serve the Lord, that you're going to catch fire from both ways? As a Christian and a minister and a, someone that serves the Lord, I expect the attack from the enemy, right? It's just it's something you expect when you jump into this. But the thing that has kind of rocked me at times over the years is when it comes from, when it's friendly fire, when it comes from brothers or sisters, and you're like, whoa, you know, like the people that you expect to stand with you uh, when they take up arms against you. Uh, and I've seen it happen. I've had it happen. And it's one of those things as a believer, you got to know that fire is going to come from both ways sometimes. And we just have to soldier up. We have to be ready. We have to know that, you know, it doesn't matter. I, at the end of the day, I got to be right with who? 
That's it. And sometimes you only can be right with the Lord. Sometimes you can't be right with anybody else while being, I'm only, I'm only able to be right with God, right? Uh, God will straighten everybody else out in his time, but you make sure you stay right with the Lord. It will not always be popular. And I'm sure for Mordecai, this is distressing. He's grieved. Uh, and I'm sure that there was some of that pressure on him. However, while I love him so much, it doesn't change anything. He doesn't start saying, well, you know, he, he doesn't start thinking about bowing. You know, he doesn't go get some knee pads and, and reconsider his, his, his position. Um, he's just, he's getting, ready to, he's getting ready to go to battle. He's like, all right, you know, we're going to have to see what we're going to do about this. So the sum of money that Haman told the king he was going to pay into the treasury was 10,000 talents of silver. Um, when you break that down, when you break down the 10,000 talents of silver, uh, I think it's something like 750 tons. Um, and when you break it all the way down into what is it, what does it amount to in our money? Get this, $96 million. So if, if you took the 750 tons of silver that it was and you brought it to current market value, $8 an ounce of silver or whatever, it would be about $96 million. So I, I got to say this about the king. The king was, the king was being bought with a bribe. Right. And the Bible has a lot to say about that, that um, as far as people taking bribes or being able to be bought, it's not something we want to be able to, you know, we don't want to be the kind of people that can be purchased or that can be bribed that someone can, you know, I'll pay you to do this. Um, this king, uh, not a believer, pagan king for enough money, he was willing to exterminate all all these people. He, he did no investigation into the claims that Haman had made about the Jews. I think he heard 96 million was like, yeah, yeah, that's a great, yeah, man, praise God. That's because I, give me that decree right now. I sign it two times, you know? And so we got to be careful about that. I wrote in my notes, can you be bought, right? Can you be bought for, for, is there enough money that someone could give you? Is there something that you want so bad that if someone offered it to you, you would go the other way? You would do the wrong thing. You would look, you would, you would go in a different direction, um, I think it's so important as believers that we not be viable, right? You know why? Because you've already been bought. Amen. You've already been bought at the price, the price of the blood of Jesus. Therefore, there's nothing that anyone could ever offer you of greater value than what's already been purchased. You've already been bought. And so I can't be bought with money. I can't be bought with things. I can't be bought with favor. Can't be bought with opportunity. Can't be bought with other things. I've already been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And there's nothing that compares with that. And uh, may, if we could just keep that in our hearts, uh, it'll keep us from being purchasable. You know, when someone comes and they, well, you know, I, I got this situation right here, man. You know, I, I, I give you, no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm otherworldly, I'm other sir. I belong to somebody else already. Don't get down like that. And, um, and I, my, my prayer is that we would all be those kind of people, that kind of character, uh, not buyable. Um, this king was buyable. He could be purchased. And uh, for $96 million, I, I think a lot of people I know could be purchased for $96 million. <laughs> Truth be told, you know. But that, that's a lot of money. And that's, what it was, that was, that's what was being offered. So uh, Mordecai sends back word through Hathach, and he gives Esther the full story of what's going on. Uh, verse eight and nine, it says, uh, he also gave, uh, he also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Sushan that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and that he might command her to go into the king and to make supplication to him 
and plead before him for her people. So big deal right here, right? Esther sent information to him. He's now sending information back to Esther. He gets a copy of the death notice that this is what this is what's out in the citadel. Send this back to her. Let her know how serious this thing is. There's a date on this thing. And he's commanding her, you need to go in before the king and intercede on behalf of your people. You've been listening to a transforming word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Pastor Bill is making his way through the book of Esther, written with a notably skillful writing style. The author of this book is unknown. However, the art of storytelling is obvious and would have had the readers of the day on the edge of their seats. That's not the only interesting fact we find here. Esther is the only book in the Bible to omit God from every single verse. From the text, it is clear that God is present and is setting up the scenes for each, if you will. But while absent from the writing, his presence is felt in every sequence of events as Esther and Mordecai navigate the many challenges they would face. We see them use courage and conviction of faith in God to ultimately change the rule of power and turn an entire city around and back to God. How are you using the power of your faith in God to influence those closest to you? If you're looking for a community where you'll be supported in love, then come see us at Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. We'll worship and learn together. You can find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. There, you'll find everything you need to know and a lot of bonus materials for personal study. For those of you further away, you can be our virtual guest by connecting via Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where we live stream our Sunday services. And with that, we've come to the end of our time together. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to come again to A Transforming Word.